April 9th. Our reading today in the New Testament will be from Luke chapter 13. We'll highlight tragedy, hypocrisy, and opportunity. Let me uh, give you a brief overview. In verses 1 through 9 in Luke 13, how easy it is to ask questions about others' tragedies and fail to learn the lessons they teach. You know, the big question is not, why do people die in tragic and seemingly meaningless ways? But the real question is, why does God keep me alive? Am I really worth it? Am I bearing fruit or just taking up space? Of course, you're worth it simply because you're made in God's image. Verses 10 through 17 will spotlight hypocrisy. The hypocrite here is the ruler of the synagogue. He was a hypocrite because he treated animals better than he treated people. And we keep doing the same thing even today in modern times. Suppose the woman, uh, the woman that Jesus heals, uh, did come to the synagogue on another day. Uh, could that ruler of the synagogue uh, have healed her then? Of course not. And, of course, we wonder how many uh, needy people come to church meetings looking for love and, and help and then go away disappointed. There's an old saying, yesterday is a canceled check, tomorrow is a promissory note, today is the only cash you have, so invest it wisely. And then uh, on to opportunity. God's kingdom is at work in this world, but many people fail to take advantage of their opportunities. Instead of entering the kingdom, some people only ask questions about it continually. Listen, salvation is not a theory to discuss. It's a miracle to experience. No wonder Jesus wept when he saw sinners passing by their opportunities to be saved. Hey, don't wait for opportunities to come. They're right in front of us today. Now they're already here. And with that, let's begin our reading in the New Testament for today. April 9th, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were sacrificing at the temple in Jerusalem. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than other people from Galilee? he asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all and you will also perish unless you turn from your evil ways and turn to God. And what about the eighteen men who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you will also perish. Then Jesus used this illustration. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again, to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up space we can use for something else. The gardener answered, Give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, you can cut it down. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for eighteen years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised and thanked God! 
But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, You hypocrite! You work on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from their stalls on the Sabbath and lead them out for water? Wasn't it necessary for me, even on the Sabbath day, to free this dear woman from the bondage in which Satan had held her for eighteen years? This shamed his enemies, and all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds come and find shelter among its branches. He also asked, What else is the kingdom of God like? It is like yeast used by a woman making bread. Even though she used a large amount of flour, the yeast permeated every part of the dough. made him who knew no sin possibly the most outstanding thing about Jesus Christ that is often overlooked is this he knew no sin he had no affiliation with sin so unlike us you and I were born in sin in the book of Job, we understand that depraved men, they drink down iniquity like it was water. We are friends with sin. We walk hand in hand with sin. And yet, he had no affiliation with sin, no friendship. Never did he once walk together with sin. He was perfect in all his ways. Now, oftentimes when we think about sin as it is defined in many of the confessions that sin is lack of conformity to the law of God which is the standard of God's righteousness for us so when we think that Jesus had no sin we oftentimes think to ourselves he perfectly obeyed the law of God and that's true that's very true but I want to take it a little bit farther to show you how magnificent his obedience truly truly was one time I, I had the, I guess you could say, the privilege of speaking to a man who was given to perfectionism. He was a part of that denomination or those group of churches that believed that a saint on this earth can become absolutely perfect and sinless. And after talking to him, I found out that the reason why he believed that is because he had redefined sin. So I looked at him and I asked him this question. I said, what do you suppose would be the greatest sin a man could commit? And he said, well, I don't know. I never thought about it that way. And I said, could it be breaking the greatest commandment that God ever gave? And he said, well, I suppose. And I said, well, what is that command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I asked him, have you done that? And there I had him trapped. Because if he says no, he has sinned. And if he says yes, he has blasphemed. To say that he gave God all the love that God merits is blasphemy. Now, I want you to think about something. There has never been one second, and I mean that literally, not one millisecond in all of human history 
Not once in all of human history, not even for a fraction of a second, has anyone ever loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. Now we're, we have 7 billion people plus on this planet right now. And if you add it all up back to Adam, how many billions of people have walked on this planet and not for even one fraction of a second has any one of them loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And yet Jesus Christ, every second of his life, he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. He did throughout his entire life what no one else in humanity had ever done for even a second Now do you begin to appreciate a little bit more of what it means when it says he knew no sin? That he was perfectly obedient. Now I want you to look at something else about Jesus Christ. It says that he, the writer of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in all things. Just like us. And because of that, he can be a sympathetic, compassionate high priest. That he was tempted in all things. Now, that's true, but when people read that, they, they're not really comprehending what's going on here, what it's actually saying. And let me try to give it to you in something of an illustration. It was like a tiny fraction of temptation can be laid upon us and we fall, we collapse. Multiply that infinitely. That is what was thrown against Christ. Not equal with what was required to collapse us. No, infinitely beyond what was required to collapse us was thrown upon Christ and he still stood. He fought what no man has ever fought. If we're going to stay on the gospel rails, here's the second thing that you need to do. Look, Look right at me. Keep getting up. So here's, I'm not naive. There's legitimate addiction and legitimate problems in this room. There is alcohol, there is drugs, there is promiscuity, there is marital infidelity, there is on and on I could go. There is some train wrecked lives in this joint. And, and, and hear me, self-pity will destroy you. It will suck the life right out of you and so what I need you to hear me say from the gospel is that there is no error no addiction with more power than the cross of Christ get up keep getting up don't it doesn't work for me if you've never actually tried it and so you need to confess your sins and get help well I think I can beat it well I think you've got several years of history that says you can't If you could just let go and trust God and trust the covenant community of faith to walk with you, freedom might be had.
to drag secret sin kicking and screaming into the light in, through the means of confession that you might be healed is the most terrifying yet freeing thing you could ever do. Some of you need to just keep getting up because you're not listening to the gospel because you believe that you can't be forgiven and that you're stuck in these things. You're not stuck. You can get up and move. Get up and move. Today we're still reading from Psalm 78, this very long psalm. It reviews uh, almost the entire history of Israel, uh, the Exodus, their wilderness journey, uh, the conquest of Canaan, and the disciplines that God sent uh, there as they were in Canaan. It's a nation's true history, and it's a record not only of how the people treated one another, but of how they uh, treated God. God's answer to Israel's needs, as we have seen, is to give them a spiritual leader. What are all histories but God manifesting Himself? Psalm 78, verses 65 through 72. Then the Lord rose up as though waking from sleep. Like a mighty man aroused from a drunken stupor, He routed His enemies and sent them to eternal shame. But He rejected Joseph's descendants. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. There he built his towering sanctuary, as solid and enduring as the earth itself. He chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and lambs, and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart, and led them with skillful hands. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. <laughs>